everyone. Uh, and uh, uh, as of now, it's good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to SACPA today. Uh, we are addressing a pretty important topic today. And uh, so be before I say that, I will tell you a little bit about what we normally do here. Uh, turn off your cell phones, please, so we don't have any distractions. And I also like to acknowledge that our events takes place on the lands of the Blackfoot people and the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. And we pay uh, respect to their past, present, and future cultural heritage, beliefs, and relationships to the land. <clears throat> we commit to do our utmost to assist with efforts to mend and heal past and present injustices. Having said that, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. I'm the moderator for today. And uh, as usual, the talk will be about 25 minutes, followed by lunch and question period. We are having chili today for people uh, just wondering about we, what we are going to be eating. Um, and of course, the sessions will be recorded uh, both by Shaw TV, or oh, Shaw Spotlight, sorry, and ourselves. And they are available on, on, online, and yeah, you'll be able, you have lots of opportunities. It goes to YouTube afterwards eventually as well. Uh, the lunch today is uh, $14 if you're eating and $2 for coffee or tea or juice or whatever you like to have besides that. And if you can't pay at all, that's okay as well. You just, you just don't get to eat lunch. Um, yeah, I'm just going to introduce uh, our speaker, Terry Lynn Fox from Standoff. She works with the Wellness Center at, in, in Standoff. And she was very kind to, on very short notice, to come and speak to our topic today. Uh, as, as some of you, uh, I think that last week we mentioned that we were going to try and do this, and, and Terry Lynn came through. So that's wonderful. Uh, Tay Lynn is a member of the Kainai Nation, which is part of the Blackfoot Confederacy. Uh, her academic credentials include a BA in psychology, an MA in sociology, and she's currently working on her PhD in education. Uh, so sooner or later, she will be a doctor. She's the director of Kainai Wellness Center, which is one branch of the Blood Tribe Department of Health located on the Kainai Nation. She taught school at uh, Mount Royal University for five or six years, I believe. And uh, 
she's um, just trying to make things right for all the things that has been done in the past. So with that, I will invite uh, Lynn up to speak. Uh, please give her a warm welcome. Good afternoon, everyone. That's my traditional Blackfoot name that I was gifted when I was about two or three. My grandfather, Mugakin, gifted me that name when I was quite ill. I'm not sure of the exact translation. However, many people have stated um, it somewhat translates into miracle healing woman. And I'm not that miracle healing woman but my grandfather um, wanted me to get better. However, um, I think the life I've led, I've lived up to that name, so I'm quite, quite proud to share that with you. So I spoke to Knud on Saturday, and uh, we talked a little bit about what it might look like presenting today. And so I had a few days to um, put together this presentation with all the other work I'm, I'm trying to complete at, at present. Um, I'm finishing my dissertation and you're quite right, by the end of August I will have uh, completed my dissertation and I can be called Dr. Fox at that time. So today's presentation um, looks at the final report given by the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls and they add on um, two-spirited, gay, lesbian, transgender. So those groups are included. I just want to share, when we honor and hold sacred women, we also honor and hold sacred everyone. So I want to share that with you before we start. Like I said, this is who I am, and I cannot really go any further until I situate myself in front of you and create that, that affinity, that connection. Um, these are my grandparents, uh, Mukakin and Buna, and they were both ceremonialists. I never heard them speak English, so as a young child, I always had to understand or try to understand what elders said, especially my grandparents, and they are and were grandparents to the traditional societies that uh, were, were carried on since time began. Another picture of Chief Mountain and where we live on the reserve, the southwest end, we're about 15 minutes from Waterton, so we can go up our hill, walk there, and we see the, the foothills, and we see the Rocky Mountains, and we see Chief Mountain. So I always situate myself connected to the land, connected to ceremony, connect to our old ways. And the bottom photo is a picture of our sun dance, which we hold every year, even though it was outlawed within the Indian Act for a time period. I was told a story that one of the Indian agents, during that time it was outlawed, had actually let the blood tribe members practice the sun dance in secret. So 
so it was carried on every year, even though it was outlawed. And I'm centered through all the teachings, through past, present, future, and I hope I convey myself in a respectful, honorable way to everyone. So women are sacred beings. They are the channel of each new being born into this physical reality. When we honor and hold sacred our women, we also honor and hold sacred our men. We all come from our mothers. And when we dishonor women, we're actually saying, I dishonor myself. I don't like myself. So we really have to create a context of understanding that if we're going to move forward together, this is a photo of my daughter. She, she's a jingle dress dancer. And for a few years, we, we didn't follow the powwow trail. She said, Mom, I need a dress for orange shirt day. And I said, OK. So I was looking around for some women, and they were you know, backed up with how many orders they had. So she came with me on the Saturday. We picked out the material, the jingles, the ribbons. We gathered some other items, which I had since I was a teenager. And um, within four days, I made her dress. <laughs> and so she, she wears it very proudly. And she wears it um, as a healer, because a jingle dress dance is a healing dance. And when we can come together in ceremony, we all heal, not just one or two people, but we're all part of that healing process. So this is a short you know, outline of what we will talk about today. Um, and I tried to highlight some areas where I think would be more effective for our audience today within Southern Alberta. Hope, you know, it's voluminous, it's 1,200 pages. And I'm not too sure how many of you have read those 1,200 pages yet. Um, you know, and I was able to skim through it. However, the research that I have done regarding um, Indigenous history, looking at my own research on Indian residential schools and talking to elders and survivors, looking at the RCAP, looking at the apology, looking at the truth and reconciliation calls to action, another final report regarding missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, you know, what message is that saying to you? That ch change needs to happen. It needs to happen yesterday. And change will happen with all of us on board, not just Indigenous people saying this and coming up with the findings and the somewhat solutions for Canadian people. Um, we all got to walk this together. So as we move forward, just a few questions to think about. What is an apology and how would you apologize? What does truth and reconciliation mean? And how do you define it within your own social construct and your own um, co context from where you all come from, the lands you come from? And what about the apology and the TRC and the United Nations Declaration on Indigenous People? Those reports, and now the MMIWG, they have similar findings. And, and I encourage you, and, and I would want you to look at some of these documents to really understand that historical evolvement and that historical 
um, trauma that is talked about for Indigenous people. It's not only in, on this continent, it's felt throughout the world, as well as how can we move forward together. So from, from one of the um, sources that I'm using as one of my guides here, if you're not outraged, you're not paying attention. Now, if you don't get outright angry and ask what is happening, what are we doing, what is the government not doing, and why are they not listening, and if it doesn't mean anything to you, then, then I'm glad you're here. So there are 231 calls for justice. Steps need to be taken by governments and Canadians in order to end the genocide against Indigenous women and girls. So to create a context or an understanding of, of talking about this, if you know a little bit about the Indian residential schools, you know that it was f children were forcibly removed, not kindly. It was f they were forcibly removed from their homes. And I am one generation from the residential schools. Both my mom and dad attended an Indian residential school. So I can share from my perspective what it feels like, what I know, how it was, and where I am today from sharing that story. Now, it took many years for me to not be angry and to create this, this um, reconciliation, this forgiveness within myself. Why am I so angry? So about 20 years later, I'm here today to respectfully share, but firmly share what research has provided, what stories have provided, the stories of survivors, the stories of Indi Indigenous people, and what these reports tell us about the experience of Indigenous people in their homelands. The calls for justice are legal imperatives. They're not optional. If we really want to see change in a Canadian context and, and landscape, then we must take action. The calls for justice represent important ways to end genocide and transform systemic and societal values that have worked to maintain colonial violence. And if there are, within this report, they have, you know, thousands of statistics that confirm how many women have gone missing or were murdered. Now, there's uh, an, an air of those who are not reported, those who will not come forward, and maybe those will never know but it's quite alarming when women are targeted to be treated cruelly, disrespectful, um, you know, assault, um, outright um, targeted. And for myself as a Blackfoot woman, and I have three daughters, and I have three sisters, and I have nieces, and I have friends, and I've heard stories, this, you know, I don't think as a teenager I was really scared to walk anywhere, be anywhere, drive anywhere, but as a woman today, 
it's it's pretty scary sometimes to be walking down a street and and wondering, okay, where am I grounded? What's my environment? Where can I go if anything happens? Do I have my cell phone? And I actually pack a pocket knife in my purse. It might be small, but you know, if if I'm ever in that position. Um, who knows what will happen. I just won't go down very easily. But this is our reality. This is the reality of the women that shared their stories. And this is the reality of those who put the report together. So we, we cannot let our guard down. We have to move forward. We have to crea create safety for everyone. So within the health and wellness sector of the report, there's eight, and I'm just going to highlight a few of them given the time frame that I have to talk. So the first one, 15.1, denounce and speak out against violence against Indigenous women, girls, and 2SLGBTQIA people. So if you think about that, how many people have allowed disrespect and dishonor towards women in general, and specifically indigenous women in general, regardless of their age, regardless of their income, regardless of where they live or how they live. We're human beings, and we all deserve to be treated with honor and respect. Doesn't matter what color we are, how long our hair is, how old we are, how little we are, we're human beings. And, and I hope that sinks in because for far too long, governments and print documents have created this, this dissension that your skin color, that's who you are. But in reality, it's not. Are you kind? Are you respectful? Will you give someone, you know, a meal when they are hungry? Will you share that? Will you, do you, are you generous? So these are some of the, the core teachings of Indigenous people and ways in which we move forward in spite of the atrocities, in spite of the statistics. We still hold sacred those traditional teachings. The next one, decolonize by learning the true history of Canada. So one of my themes that I use in any presentation or how I write my research is, will you walk with me? Will you listen to my story? Because I, I know a little bit about European history. It doesn't really do me any good. I'm indigenous here. And, and if you're in these lands here, what good does European history do for you. I'm not saying it's not important. It is to those people that use that are in their homelands. But in our homeland, we ought to be teaching this history here, not after 1867. But there is thousands and thousands of years of history that we can learn from. And you know what? There is no genocide. There is no outright cruelty and killings of anyone. We had our wars, we had our ways to protect and honor, but it wasn't to sloth a million people in certain ways. So these are some areas where we ought to think about as Southern Albertans, as Canadian citizens, 
And I know I'm taking a chance here. However, in such a short time, I hope you remember this as that woman that took that chance to kind of shake up your own inner thought processes and what you believe and what you know to be true. And if it, that really is the truth. So confront and speak out against racism, sexism, ignorance, homophobia, transphobia, and teach and encourage others to do the same. So when you see it, what do you do? If you don't do anything, you're part of the problem, as the saying goes. And we want to be part of the solution. We want to be part of ways in which we can move forward together, right? Um, some, I'm just going to throw this out there. As an Indigenous woman, I've, I don't own my own home, yet I know I make good money now being well-educated. And all the years I went to school, how can I learn about Canadian European history and histories throughout the world when people in Canada don't really know the indigenous history? That's, that's not right. That's kind of odd. That doesn't really match up, right? So why is it that Canadians can own their home, but a lot of indigenous women, due to different policies, we don't have that collateral. We don't have that, that credit. We don't have that name to go into a bank and first time buyer, yes, you're approved. I've had to work and work and work and try to create this credit and try to let the bank know, yes, I make money every year. Yes, it's increasing every year. Will you let me buy a home? And that, that's for me right now. I can't change everything but why do I really need to buy a home off reserve? Why is there not enough housing on reserve? So many of these elements not only speak to women's issues, they speak to all issues. And if we create this, this positive outcome for indigenous women, everyone benefits, right? Everyone walks together. Help hold governments accountable and act on the calls for justice and to implement them accordingly to the important principles set out. So um, during the interviews, I was asked about genocide and through the the data, the research, the definitions, historians, those who coined the terms, you know, genocide does not necessarily mean the immediate destruction of a nation. It means the gradual, coordinated plan at looking at ways in which we can change, we can assimilate groups of people. Not just assimilate, but let go of your own identity as an indigenous person. The objectives of the plan of genocide would include actions aimed at disintegration of the political and social institutions, of the culture, of the language, national feelings, religion, and in indigenous people's case, spirituality, and the destruction of personal security, liberty, health, dignity, and even the lives of individuals belonging to such groups. So, are the actions towards Indigenous women and girls 
Are they not genocide? Can someone tell me otherwise? Right? We've been coming up with this term for, and coming back to this, and, and yet nothing is still done. There's still some people that don't agree with it, and I'm challenging, why do you not agree with it? Tell me where in the data, in the documents, that it's not. And it's not necessarily look at the word genocide. It's about women are being labeled and targeted. And it's intentional that they are murdered or they go missing. So somewhat looking at both the MMIWG report and the TRC report, health and wellness, 3.1 ensure the rights to health and wellness of indigenous peoples, and specifically of indi indigenous women, girls, and 2SLGBTQIA people are recognized and protected on an equitable basis. And from the TRC, from the calls to action number 18, the health, we call upon the federal, provincial, territorial, and all Aboriginal governments um, that the current state of Aboriginal health in Canada is a direct result of previous Canadian government policies, including the residential schools, and recognize and implement the health care rights of Aboriginal peoples as identified in international law, constitutional law, and under the treaties. So, if some of you don't know what some of these policies are, I encourage you, when you walk away, go take a look at them. You would create this greater understanding of where we come from. So if they're talking about, you know, policies of residential schools and then policies within the final report uh, for MMIWG, there's something similar here. We're still, not, we're still not taking action. We're still not seeing that change. Right. More and more families are coming forward in, on my reserve, telling their story, trusting us to share their story. And then in turn, we are, we are doing what we can to help them heal to help them find that, that solace, that, that serenity, that place of calmness where they can live their life for however many years they have left in a good way because they're, they're, they're reconciling within themselves. They're forgiving. They're letting go of anger because we cannot bring them back. However, how can we move forward knowing what we know. Connection. From one of the testimonies in the final report, uh, one of the sisters talked about her sister. I know when I put on that regalia, she dances with me. And I have to honor her. Honor her for showing me how life ends or life begins. And she was my greatest teacher. One of the main elements for indigenous people is connection, 
is also ceremony. And those two go hand in hand. They're almost infused. So when we practice ceremony, we are connected to everyone and every being and the land and the water and the air. We're connected. And you can't take that away as given by this testimony. Kainai Wellness Center has taken the initiative and has done the work to provide some awareness for the members. And we're hosting a two-day event in a few weeks. So I welcome you all to attend or call us and ask um, for more information or what you can do to, to move forward. And this is our event, and our logo was designed by Kainai Wellness Center employee Cassie Fox, and she has gifted Kainai Wellness Center to continue to use this logo for, um, for our events. Final comment. Um, stand on the back of Turtle Island, our mother, and look at the land and wonder what it would have been like if Columbus would have been successful in his pursuit of India and avoided the eastern shore of this continent. Wipe your Indian hands on your Levi jeans, get into your Toyota pickup, throw in a tape of Mozart, Led Zeppelin, or ceremonial Sioux songs, then throw back your head and laugh. You are a survivor of a colonized people. Mr. Mabat Debisin, May you have a long life. Gamadan, may you overcome. My final question is, will you walk with us? Thank you.